Thank you, Brittany. I am thankful for my teammate. Been blessed with a good teammate. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 2. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 2 this evening. And let me just go ahead, just get all the awkwardness out of the way uh, before we start. So I was eating. Anybody eat supper tonight? <clears throat> we ate and it was good. And so I was eating and um, that Alfredo sauce was good, wasn't it? It was good. And I looked down and I dropped some all over the front of my pants here. And uh, so we're walking back, and Brittany said, you've got a spot all over the front of your pants. And uh, tried, to, tried to get that out, but was not able to. So go ahead and get it out of the way, and that is uh, just Alfredo sauce. And so, you know, that, what that does is that keeps you from wondering for the next 25, 30 minutes, what is going on here? So um, makes me feel better anyway. Um, I don't know how to segue after that, you know, it's... That's my story, and I am sticking to it, I promise you. Think about our church, and I think about the dangers that we are in. I really look at it, and I don't think that there is a, uh, an immediate threat for a, a doctrine error coming in. I look at it, and, and I look at our leadership, and, and I don't really see that as being a problem that we are looking at as we sit here tonight. I don't think it is some kind of heresy that is, is coming in in our midst. I don't think there's some kind of iniquity. There, there, there's rampant sin in our church. I don't really see that as an issue. When I look at our church, I don't really see a problem with people leaving because we are so blessed because every week there are new people and new faces. Some of you are here tonight, new families that are coming in and they are putting their hand to the plow and they are joining this church to advance the kingdom of God. I'm thankful for that. I look at it, I don't think we have a, a financial problem. The giving has been just outstanding. This year has been, without a doubt, the best year we have seen financially. The Lord has blessed, and, and you are just, just doing what you can, and you are being faithful to the Lord, and the Lord is using that and some incredible things, but there is always a danger in front of us. And so we're going to be looking at the church in Ephesus tonight, and it could be that the danger that they face is a danger that we face also. When it comes to the Christian life, it's really simple. So sometimes we make it so complex and we make it to where, man, if you want to be a Christian, you've got to do all of these different things. You've got to go through all these different studies and you've got to get all your ducks lined up in a row. But really, when you read the Bible, Christianity is built uh, very simply. It is about a life that loves Jesus Christ. I, I know it, it's basic, it's simple, but it's a simple statement that many of us have lost. The Christian life is best defined as an ongoing relationship of love between the believer in Christ. And here's the issue. It's not that we go through the Christian life and we're trying to earn more love from God. The love of God is fixed. The love of God does not change. Now, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We know that is true. But God's love for me is not dependent upon how good I am. God does not love me more tonight because I'm in church than he would if I'm not in church. Now, I believe he is pleased that we're in church tonight, but we do not earn his love. We do not work and do all these different things so that we can 
earn the love of God. Most people have the idea that the Christian life is about how much God loves me and about how much God wants to fulfill my dreams and how much God wants to fulfill my desires and how much God wants to fulfill my ambitions and how much God wants to take my objectives and see them become a reality. We make it all about what God is going to do for me. That's why we have these books like Live Your Best Life Now because it's all about how God is going to come in and he's going to bless my life and he's going to use me and he's going to set me up. And as long as I'm walking in the will of God, I'm not going to have any problems in life. That's what the world is teaching. You come to Christ, God's going to love you, he's going to bless you, you're going to have no problems, you're going to have no cancer, you're going to have no sickness, no marriage problems, because everything's going to be good in your life because God loves you. The problem is, it's not biblical. That's not what the Bible teaches. The problem is, that is not true. In reality, the Christian life is about that we love Christ that we love him with all that we are, that we love him totally, that we love him sacrificially, that we love him obediently, that we love him worshipfully, that we love him in the way that we serve him and in the way that we serve others. It's all about Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. It means I want my life to honor him. It means I want to know him. I want to exalt him. I want to please him. I want to be with him. I want to serve him. And I want to tell others about him. And so my question as we get started tonight is how much do you love Jesus? It's a very simple question. How much do you love Jesus? It's been the question for all of humanity Go back to the Old Testament. What is the command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, everything that you are. In the New Testament, it comes back. Lord, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with everything that you are. The command is very simple. It's not easy to live out, but the command is simple. We must love the Lord with everything that we are. And when we do, when we reach that point, when we reach that place, then our life will begin to change. The Bible says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so because we love, we're obedient. Because we love, we keep the commandments. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my word. If you love me, you'll feed my sheep. Because we love, we go out and we feed the sheep. The key to it is love. That we love the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're in Revelation <clears throat> Chapter 2, and we're going to be in verses 1 through 7. This is written to the seven churches. You know this. You know the context. We don't have time tonight to really dig deep because I know we could dig really deep into these churches. And we're going to just have to go on the the surface level of it uh, for the time that we have tonight. Churches are real churches. They are are actual churches. It's not symbolic. There are letters that go out to these churches But they exist, and they challenge us, and they show us the way that we ought to be even today. When you get to Ephesus, you'll realize it was a very important city. It was a city that had much trade coming in, much trade going out. It was a city that had stadiums. It had a theater that would would seat 
25,000 people. Just a, a huge, <clears throat> huge place. And in the middle of it was this, this temple to the goddess of fertility. And people would come from all over, all over the region. They would come in and they would want to go into this temple. And they would want to see who this goddess is. You remember when Paul was in Ephesus and there's this guy, Demetrius, and he is making these little statues and selling them. And Paul tries to put an end to that and he gets really upset. Their whole livelihood is based upon this pagan system and this pagan worship. And so the church we're looking at is sitting in the midst of a lost society. They're sitting in the midst of a lost culture. We can understand that, can't we? We're doing the same thing today. We come and it is, it is not normal. It's not normal to come in here on a Wednesday night. Most people are not doing this tonight. There's much outside of these walls that does not bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's look at the church and we'll break it up in different sections because that's how the letters work. First, we see the greeting. Look at verse 1. It says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. And he walks among the seven golden lampstands. Right into the churches. <clears throat> and so he makes his introduction. And then verse 2, he goes and he tells the church what they're doing good. Most churches have some good things they're doing, Correct. And so he goes in verse 2, and he begins to lay this out. He says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, for you have not grown weary. Now, let's break this down and see a few things that, that this church is doing well. The first thing you'll see in verse 2 is they're working hard. They're working very diligently. He says, I know your works. I know your toil. The, the verse is saying, especially in the Greek language, that it has to do with engaging in activity that is burdensome. They're living in this lost culture, but yet they keep on working. They're working. They're enthusiastic. They see what needs to be done, and they go out and they do it. It's a church that when you drive by it on a Sunday morning, there's people inside of it. They're not lazy. They get up and they come. When you drive by on a Wednesday night, you look out and you see that there are people that have come. That they haven't gotten lazy, they haven't, they haven't pushed it back and said, it's really not important. It's a church, you drive by and you see this church has doctrine. This church is teaching. They have programs. They have all the things that you look at and you want to see a hardworking church and this church has it. Can, can I just step aside for just a minute and can I remind you, God knows what you're doing we read this sometimes and it, it gets negative because we think that God looks at us and he sees all of our weak points. And that's true. God looks at me and he sees my faults and he sees my failures and he sees my weak points. But at the same time, God looks at us and he sees all the work that we do. God looks at us and he sees every time you've ever written someone a letter. God looks at us and he sees every time you've driven a bus to pick someone up. 
God looks and he knows every time you've studied a lesson to prepare and challenge people. God looks and he knows every time you've ever made a church visit. God looks and he knows every time you've done anything at all for the least of these. You see, it may be that you're here tonight and there's never been one time that you've got your name in the bulletin. It may be that you have never been recognized in the newsletter it could very well be that nobody has ever pulled you up on the stage and brought you up and everybody has applauded and said, well done, we are thankful for you, we are grateful for you. It is very likely that has never happened. It is very likely that you have done things and you have worked and you have sacrificed and nobody has even given you a pat on the back. You ever been there? You ever felt like that? And maybe you just want to step back and you want to say, is it even worth it anymore? Is it worth what I'm doing? I'm not appreciated. Nobody cares. Every time you prayed for somebody, no, nobody cares that I'm praying for them. The Lord knows every work and especially every good work that you've ever done. And so he looks to this church and he says, I, I know your works. I know that you're working. I know that you're working diligently. I know that it's hard in your culture. I know that it's hard in your context. But I commend you on the fact that you are working hard. Secondly, it says you're resisting sin. Look at verse 2. He says, you cannot bear with those who are evil. You cannot bear with those who are evil. They resisted sin, and they would not allow it to come within the church. Do you know what it means? It means that they took a stand, and they meant it. They didn't compromise. When there was sin in the church, they dealt with it. Now, look at the wording. Maybe look at the wording in your Bible. It might be a little bit different, but you will see that it is strong language. It says, you just cannot stand it. You cannot bear it. You cannot be around it. You don't want anything sinful around your life. And so we see the picture that these folks, they're trying to live a life of holiness. They're trying to live a life of purity. They're trying to live a life that honors God. And so when sin comes around, the little radar goes off. You know what I'm talking about? You have that radar, and all of a sudden, something's going off inside of your heart, and you say, this is not right. I don't need to be around this. That's the Holy Spirit, right? This is not good. This is not right. The radar goes off, and they take a stand. This is a weak point for many in our day. We have become so accustomed to sin I hear preachers and I hear churches and they say this, if you want to reach culture, if you want to reach society, you've got to get in there with them. You've got to be like them. You can't be so rigid. You can't draw this line and say you can't do this, you can't do this, because when you do that, you're, you're making this separation and you can't reach people like that. It's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we are to be set apart we're to be holy, that we're to be different. Say everybody else is doing it, it doesn't matter. Sin comes into our life and it kills us. It kills our testimonies. It kills our witness. It kills our churches. It kills our families. And this is a church that they don't take sin and they don't push it under the rug. They don't take sin and pretend it doesn't happen. But they take it seriously. I wonder, in my life, and in your life, do you take sin seriously? 
does it, does it bother you? you? Turn the TV on and sin comes up rather quickly. Does that bother you? You're going around and you, you hear some things that you know are not of God. You know they're not godly. Does it bother you? You're going around life and we're going in life in this, this culture and there's sin around us. When the sin comes near you, does it bother you? Or can you just go on like it's no big deal? Most Christians today just go on like it's no big deal. Sin, it destroys our lives. It breaks our relationships. It tears up our families and our marriages. That's what sin does. It comes in and it brings destruction with it. And so the fact that it says they cannot stand it, they cannot bear to be around sin, that's a huge thing, isn't it? That's a huge blessing. Then number three, it says this. It says they test their teachers. Tested those who call themselves apostles and are not in verse 2. They test them. Somebody comes in, they have some sort of leadership. They test them. They make sure that what they're saying lines up with Scripture. Let me just say this. You need to always do that. There have been many, many people who were led astray. And do you know why they were led astray? They were led astray because they followed a man and they didn't follow Jesus. They followed a man and they trusted what a man said and they never backed up and said, does this match what the word of God says? And so I tell you, even tonight as I'm speaking to you and I'm speaking through the scriptures, you need to be listening to what I'm saying and you need to be judging it in your mind through the Holy Spirit and you need to say, is this biblical what he is saying? You need to be holding your leaders accountable. When Brother Charles preaches, when anyone gets up in front of you, it needs to be backed up against the Word of God. And if there's ever anything that is contrary to the Word of God, it's not the Bible that's wrong, it's the man that's speaking. And so he says, they tested the leaders. They tested those who claim to be apostles. Now, what that means is this. It meant they know what the truth is. You cannot test something until you know what the truth is. And so if we're shallow in our faith, then I can tell you what I want to tell you and you won't know the difference. But if you're studying the scriptures, if you're meditating on the scriptures, if you're walking with the Lord, if you hear something that's not true, that radar is going to go off again. It's going to say, this isn't right. This is not right. We can't listen to this. And there have been a lot of good people that were led astray by false teachers. Last thing we see that they are commended for is that they persevere. He says, you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. They're living this time. It's tough. It's difficult. They are suffering abuse. They're suffering mentally and physically and financially. They're, they're living a life that honors God. And they're living in this culture, and they've got to decide. It's not easy to follow the Lord. So either they're going to throw the towel in, and they're going to quit, or they're going to be strong, and they're going to persevere. And so writing the letter, he says, you haven't given up. You haven't stopped. You know, one of the, one of the surest signs of salvation is that we don't quit. In the Bible, when you look at the Word of God, it is a, a sign of salvation. 1 Corinthians 15.2. It says, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. 
Colossians 1, 22, it says, He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If, indeed, you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, in which I, Paul, became a minister. He said, I, I, you didn't quit. Once you have salvation, you don't quit. You keep going. There's times you might want to quit. There's times you might get tired. There's times you might get fed up. There's times you might get irritated. There's times that maybe you want to say, I don't know if I can go on. But a sign of salvation is you don't quit. There's so many people who quit. And I know some, and you know some, and you've seen them, and they've dropped out. And they're not here any longer. But they have a weakness too. Look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. He says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Here's the problem. Here's what I'm holding against you. You have forsaken your first love. They've done so many things right. They've got so many good qualities. But they neglected the most important They neglected the love for God and possibly the love for others. They were going through the motions. It's likely they were full of tradition, but their hearts were not on fire for God. I want to tell you, they looked good on the outside. The church looked alive. It looked vibrant, but on the inside it was cold and it was dead. In the life of believers, many times you see young believers They have no knowledge, but they have enthusiasm, right? And what happens? We grow, and oftentimes we grow in knowledge, and then what do we lose? We lose our enthusiasm. That's what this church has done. They don't have the love anymore. With our walk with the Lord, we've got to keep it fresh, alive. We've got to keep it it growing. It says you've lost your first love. I, I was thinking about that. Last few days, you think of love, you often think of maybe your spouse. So I was thinking about my wife. Think about the things we used to do. Here, here recently, um, we were, were moving some stuff. We're getting ready for another baby coming soon. And so our house is like just things are everywhere right now. We're getting things moved and, and all this stuff is going on. And so we came across a box of letters that I used to, that I had and that I kept we dated when we were in high school, and I was in 10th grade, and she was in 12th grade, and uh, so we were uh, in high school together, and that's where we started dating, and so we found these notes, and we got them out, and we began to read these notes, and so reading these notes, and there's like a stack of them, I mean, there's so many of them, I'm thinking we never must have listened in class. We must have just, all we did, it must have been we went to class, and we just wrote each other a note. And so she's writing this note like, Miss so-and-so is up teaching. I probably ought to be listening, but I wanted to write you a note instead. And so we've got these notes, and we're going back and forth. And and I was thinking, I don't remember the last time that I wrote a handwritten note to my wife. I used to. Well, I used to. Like every class, I'd pull that paper out and begin to write a note. I hadn't done that in a while. I remember that bell would ring. Remember the school bell? 
the bell would ring and like my class would be way over here and her class would be way across the hall and you had like five and a half minutes to get to the next class. Okay, And so the bell would ring and I would grab my stuff and I would like, you know, you can't run because you don't look cool if you run. And so I would just speed walk, you know, and I would speed walk and I'd meet her coming out and we'd spend the next four minutes and I'd walk her to her class and I would have 42 seconds left to get to my class. And my class was way back on this side. And so at that moment, she would walk in her class, and now it doesn't matter about looking cool. You would sprint all the way back to your class, and just when the bell's about to ring, you would get in the door. You time it just right. Why? I wanted to spend every single second with my girl. Just had to. So I would do that. I remember it would be like we'd be walking, and I'd slip my hand over. Just to, just to hold her hand for a minute. It's like, just, just needed that. You know, just, just wanted that. So many things. And you can, you can remember too. Maybe it's been a long time, but you can remember. But things begin to change, don't they? Things begin to change, and all of a sudden, it's not important to, to write a note. You feel the same way. You have the same love, probably greater at this point. But maybe we don't take the time to, to write that note anymore. Maybe it's not as important to, to spend time together like it was. And, and so these things begin to change and, and we see the, the digression. We see how you used to put so much effort and you used to put so much energy and it used to be so special. It used to be so important and it ought to still be that way now. It ought to still be that way today. But for some reason, things begin to change. And, and you look at your relationship with the Lord and oftentimes it's the same thing. You remember when you, when you came to Christ, you came to Christ and you realized in that moment you are a sinner. You've got sin on your life. That Christ came, he paid the price for your sin. He died in your spot. He took your punishment. And so you received that salvation joyfully, gladly. You're excited. You're on top of the world. You want to you wanna just do all you can for the kingdom of God. And then some time begins to pass. And you realize that the zeal is not there like it used to be. Think about your life. Would you say that you've lost some of your zeal? Would you say that maybe there used to be a little something more there and it's not anymore? Does the scripture ring true in your life and in your heart? You have forsaken your first love. That's what he says to the church. He says, here's the problem. Here's what I've got against you. You have forsaken your first love. You say, well, how do I know? Well, how much time do you spend in his word? That's a good indicator, isn't it? How much time do you spend in his word? I believe if you are totally in love with the Lord, you're going to spend time in his word. Just an indicator. How much time do you spend in prayer, communication with God? It's a good indicator. It shows a lot about our heart We've got to wrap it up here. Look at verse 5. He says, remember, this is what you've got to do. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Remember where you have come from. Repent and do the things that you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. You say, well, maybe we're in here and maybe we look and we have 
We've lost some of the passion. We've lost some of the zeal. What's our step back? He, he lays it out for us. Number one, remember. Take some time this week and remember how you felt when you first came to salvation. Remember those feelings inside of you. Remember the excitement. Remember the joy that you, you've got in your life because you love the Lord so much. Just remember it. Think about it. Meditate on it. Spend some time with it this week. He says, recall it. Reflect upon it. Think about it. Consider it. Remember the height from which you have fallen. It's a negative thing, but remember what's happened in your life. And then he says, repent. This is sinful. It's sinful to lose that zeal. So he says, you need to go and you need to repent. Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that my passion is not what it should be. I'm sorry that I have forsaken you. Lord, I'm sorry that I am chasing after the things of the world and I'm not chasing after you like I should. He says, repent. And then he says to to recommit. What does he say? He says, and do the works that you did at first. Change it. That's repentance, isn't it? You remember what you used to do. You're sorry that you're not doing those things anymore. And so you change your life and you begin to do the things that you know you ought to do. It's very simple. You look at your life tonight and you say, man, I do not read the word like I need to. I've lost my passion. What are you going to do? You're going to repent. Lord, I'm sorry because of that. And you're going to begin to change. Pretty simple, right? You say, I I don't pray like I need to. You're going to repent. And you're going to change. I don't evangelize like I need to. I know I ought to have a heart for evangelism. What am I going to do? You're going to repent. And you're going to begin to practice personal evangelism. You can apply this to any spiritual discipline you want to apply it to. There's repentance and then there's change. And now listen, if there's just repentance and there is no change, then I'm going to question if there's true repentance. If there's repentance and there's no change, I'm going to question if there was true repentance. You can't say, I'm sorry I don't study your word and then tomorrow not study the word. Because if you do so, you're not really sorry, right? And so there's got to be the change to it. Lord's putting something on your heart maybe right now. It's time to change. It's time to honor him in the way that we live. So do the works that you did at first. If you don't, he says he's going to remove the lampstand. Here's the point. If this church does not repent and does not love the Lord, the church is going to die. And you know what happened? Wasn't much longer, and Ephesus was no more. Ephesus was destroyed. You, you go there now, some of you may be going soon, you go there and it, it's rubble. It, it's, it's all torn down. It's all knocked off. They used the bricks. They, they took them, and they began to take them down the road, and they used them at other places. It was no more. This lighthouse was not the lighthouse any longer. And you can drive around, and you can find church after church after church after church that lost their love, their zeal, their passion for the things of God. And you know what God did? He took his hand off that church, and the church died. Amen? You've seen it. You've experienced it. The church, maybe they had doctrine. 
Praise the Lord for doctrine. Maybe, maybe they had uh, relationships within them, but they stopped looking out, and they stopped having outreach, and they stopped looking up for God, and they stopped seeking the heart of God. And because of that, the church is dead. And there's a whole lot of dead churches today. We'll finish up. Look at verse 7. It says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. He who has an ear, let him hear. It's important. We need to listen. This is something to apply to my life. It's something to apply to your life. Every one of us is talking about salvation. Listen, you overcome this. You keep your zeal for God. We're talking about salvation. We're talking about being in the presence of God. And so it really comes down to one question. It's the same place we began. We try to make it so difficult. We try to make it so tough. It's really easy. Where's your love at for the Lord Jesus Christ? I want to ask you just to close your eyes and bow your head. I want you to think about that. And and it could be that you're at a great place right now. You're at a high point. You look at your life and you have have grown here recently. The Lord has used you. Praise the Lord for that. It could be you look at your life right now and and you realize that, that you've gotten stagnant. You have quit pushing. You have quit growing. You have quit waking up in the morning and saying, God, what do you want? And so it could be you look at your life and you say, that's what I've done. I have forsaken my first love. And so my question to you is, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to change it? Is it important enough to change? And only you can answer that question. We could preach another five hours. We're not going to. But only you can answer that question. Lord, we thank you for this this time, God. Thank you for the way that you're with us, God. Lord, I pray each one of us will examine our life and will examine our heart. And God, we will see if we have forsaken you as our first love. Lord, I pray if we have that we will remember the height from which we have fallen. God, we will repent and we will do the things that we used to do. It's that simple, God. So may you be honored in our lives. May you be glorified. May you have your will here amongst us. Lord, it's your name that we ask these things. Amen. All right. Well, thank you all for being here with us tonight. Uh, Please remember those that are in our hospitals.